Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today on the show, JoLynn auditions for The Amazing Race, We Talk Data, and later, Joelle Martin, Executive Director of Milford Thrives and the facilitator of the Milford Thrives Early Childhood Collaborative, joins us. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. .nhcf.org. I'm thrilled to once again be joined by my esteemed and uh, it seems way busier co-host JoLynn Drennan. JoLynn, how are you? I'm well. I'm, uh, I'm uh, glad to be back. Thanks for giving me the break last week. I'm excited to have you back too. I have to admit too, I'm a little starstruck because I know that um, based on a late night text, you're going to be on the show. Amazing race. <laughs> I am, I am not going to be on the show. I have a friend who is obsessed with she and I applying to be on the show. So there's a potential application going in. Okay. So I feel like the text was a little misleading because you were like, I need to make this video uh, to as a um, Amazing Race contestant. So uh, what was going through your head when you sent me that text then? Um, that we need a, we need an application. We need to send in a video, an application video, photos, like an essay on why we should be chosen. Okay. So we need a good video. I don't want to like do it with my iPhone and... Okay. Okay, so before I get involved in a project like that, because it seems awesome from my standpoint, like, yes, I'm in. <laughs> Two, what what makes you think that you would be a good contestant for The Amazing Race? I am extremely competitive. Like, so, but when you're on it, like, how's your ankle? How's your endurance? Do you need endurance, by the way? I haven't watched the show. I actually haven't watched the show either, but my, my friend um, has watched it and she says that we're going to be great at it. So, good friend? We've only, we've, we've only known each other for about two years, but we're, um, very good friends. I coach a soccer team with her and we are, I think we're a good, uh, a good yin and yang. She's very like calm and patient and I'm not. Um, so <laughs> you, you do know that that is the exact plot line from Thelma and Louise, right? <laughs> it started with two people coaching a soccer team. I think I've only heard about it. <laughs> And then they uh, they try to get on the show. And then we escalated to robbing banks. Is that what that's about? I just thought it was a documentary about friendship. Because yeah. I remember the uh, footage at the end, which I think is the only thing I've seen. I, I don't know. It looks like that. They, there should have been a stop sign there. I think it's about traffic violations. <laughs> I, am, I am really thrilled to have you back, obviously, for the jokes in the beginning. But um, we have so much happening for about the, the past year and a half, two years now. You've been working with BHHI to build a data information center to collect um, data across the state around family support service provision. And uh, I just want to talk to you about that because I know it's a laborious process. I want to know how it's going. Um, so the Behavioral Health Improvement Institute at um, Keene State College has uh, been a, um, a, a an integral part of this um, this project. So we're building the family support data system and essentially is um, kind of functions as a case management um, software, but collects collects data, family resource centers and any of the other providers that are entering into it and not in like a big brothery way, but just in, in a way that we can we can pull data from it to really analyze and get a good picture of the services across the state. So like what services are being provided, what people are accessing, what they need, what the outcomes 
of those services are. Um, and so we're about two years into this project. It has gotten bigger and bigger. Um, you know, we started with, we needed a database just to cover, you know, one project. And then we added, um, you know, the, so through the kinship navigation program, um, we added a module for that. And then other state, um, initiatives and contractors have integrated with us. And so, so we have this common data platform, which is, we've never really had before in the state of New Hampshire. Everything has always been very siloed. Um, and so if you were going to get data, if you wanted data on, you know, number of families served in a specific program, you'd have to go to, you know, you know, just using the family resource centers as an example, 16 agencies using 16 different methods of data collection, some of them not at all at first. And so this kind of unifies all of them. And then we can pull data um, de-identified data and in aggregate. So we're just, we just see numbers. We can pull it on the back end. So it's a useful tool for, for them. And then it's, and then it helps us with reporting basically what the landscape is. And so then we can target, you know, we can look and see where there are service gaps, where there may be a higher need in a certain region of the state. And then you can target services there. So I know there's an absolute ton of interest and there's been conversations swirling around unified data platforms, but why is that data around services? service provision so valuable to the entire field and those folks seeking services? I think it's um, it's a matter of, of data-driven decision-making. So if, if we're if we're investing money, um, taxpayer dollars, private funding into a program, you want to know that it's a good investment. You want to know what the return on investment is and that the the um, that the program and services are of really high quality. And so that that people, when, when they're accessing a program, that they're actually getting, you know, really good, high-quality services services and they're really getting something out of it. And so when we are able to kind of track the data on those things, you can look at the end of a year or a certain month period and you can pull um, a report and say how many people had home visiting services this year and, you know, where did they start? You know, what, what was their what was their status when they started? And then when it when it ended, what did, what did that look like? And we can do that um, on the individual level and then but or on a program as a whole. And then that will help us improve the quality of services. So it's really continuous quality improvement, return on investment. Um, and then it just helps us track trends and see where maybe we need new services. Right. I know it takes a lot of time for the data inputted to quote unquote mature, because obviously when you, you have a smaller sample size and then a smaller time frame, the data can look askew. Is the data that has been entered actionable data at this point, or do you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can extract and make those decisions? Um, I think so. It, it's kind of a both and it's, it's, we, we haven't had this, um, um, level of comprehensive data before. Um, so what we do have right now, um, so two years in with probably like for a year fully functioning, like a fully functioning um, data platform. So we've been able to use the data that is in there to say advocate for um, funding with the state. So when when our state budget was um, the biennium budget, they were going to cut funding to really essential services. We were able to pull the data out of the family support data system and send it to DHH us and send it to our avid, you know, new futures to show like these are what this this is why you want to invest in these services. And then that money was put back into the budget. So it had that kind of an impact. And what about um, so prior to the maturation of the data, you can or as it's maturing, say, to to extract and use it to make decisions or influence policy or budgets or whatever. It seems like you can also see where data is not coming from. And you had mentioned before service gaps. Can you talk a little bit about about that and what that does to our understanding of family support and, and the provisions of service in those areas? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when we have a, a 
lack of data um, in a particular region. So in this in in this case, it's we have data um, that we are um, we're gathering from from the family resource centers that are all across the state. Um, but if there's a, a particular gap in a certain type of data, then we can look at it and and say, all right, is that service um, either is it uh, a matter of that service isn't necessary in that area, or uh, or does it not exist and we need to then put it there and target? So it's I think it's 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 great at identifying yeah where there are service deserts. So you know Manchester, Nashua, Concord, um, all you know the Lakes region. Think of where all those all of the big cities and towns where services are mo- most prominently like co-located um, versus somewhere out towards you know the Monadnock region where there may not be as as much um, or even you know go up towards Claremont and there there might not be as, as many services. Right. Um, and so it can give us um, a really good picture of that landscape and then where we maybe need to yeah. you know, target services. So you've got a service gap. And what then would tell us that, you know, that service may be needed there. As an ex- so just one example of that is like like concrete needs. So if we're seeing um, an increase in like resource inquiries up around like food insecurity or, or housing stability um, in a particular area, then we can look and say, okay, what services are there? It just it gives you that kind of that like little flag to what, what services are there? Are they enough? Do we need more? On the other side of that is not even necessarily service deserts where services might not be available in a specific town. So using Milford, because I live in, the, in this area. So um, using Milford as an example, Milford is in kind of that greater Nashua area, but parents in Milford, Wilton, Brookline to drive to Nashua for a playgroup or something like that is, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, that's a 40 minute, you know, drive. But if I know that there's a, something going on in Milford or in my local area, then that's where I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. So I can have it in my own town, in my yeah. town with people that I know, maybe I interact with more versus going out, all having to go all the way out to Nashua. If you can make it there, if you have transportation, it's, it's really interesting. It's interesting. It seems like an incredibly useful tool. And I just, it's just occurred to me. Have you used a tool like this to assess your chances of doing well in The Amazing Race? <laughs> because I, f- I feel like there's a skills desert that I'm afraid of. Um, you know what? I, maybe I could, uh, I could ask George and John from the Behavioral Health Improvement Institute to just put in a module right. into the family support data system. Right. Like, what are Joel's chances? This has been a really wonderful conversation. I am glad you're back. I'm glad you're doing wild stuff like applying for The Amazing Race. And I'm really glad you're working on this data system and you're captaining it because I I think the resulting information is going to be worthwhile for families and agencies that provide family support. So thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me. When we come back, I'll be joined by Joelle Martin, Executive Director of Milford Thrives and the facilitator of the Milford Thrives Early Childhood Collaborative. Don't go anywhere. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement, and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. Today's show was also brought to you by the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy and Protection Program, a multi 
multidisciplinary program with the Children's Hospital established to evaluate and provide integrative care to suspected victims of child maltreatment. Together, a team of physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists work to provide consultation and evaluations of children who are suspected victims of abuse, so to serve in the best interest of children and families at multiple levels of prevention. For more information about Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy Protection Program, visit www.chadkids.org backslash child dash advocacy. I'm thrilled to welcome Joelle Martin, Executive Director of Milford Thrives. Thank you for joining the show today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm really thankful for all of the work the New Hampshire Children's Trust is doing. I'd love for you to give us a quick behind the scenes about what Milford Thrives is and how did it come to be? So quick background. Milford Thrives is a 501c3 um, located in Milford, New Hampshire. And a colleague of mine, Nancy Amato, and I co-founded Milford Thrives in the fall of 2019, uh, just before COVID, around a number of areas we were passionate about and we felt like we could really make an impact in our community. Our mission is to build a healthy, resilient, connected community. And our three main areas of focus are kids, community, and the environment. Our overarching goal is to kind of serve as connectors and collaborate with existing community partners, but to really focus on creating a community where all members are healthy, feel connected, know they can go to somebody if they need support or help. Citizens are aware of our, our local environment and how to protect it, and also focused on our young children and making sure they grow up in a nurturing, supportive environment so that they can be ready for school and thrive. What led you to those three categories? What were you seeing that said, okay, we have to land here, here, and here for this community to thrive? So my background, um, I've always had a passion around supporting little, little, the littlest members of our community and their children. I was a preschool teacher. I was a special educator. um, And I also served as state representative for Milford for two terms and served on the finance committee within the, the budget division that focuses on health and human services. So from the state perspective, I really developed a better understanding of how our system works and provides uh, supports and services to the local community and therefore my, my neighbors. Not serving in that role, um, I really wanted to apply that knowledge and understand from a local perspective then how our families were tapping into the resources and supports available for them. And in particular around the area of um, early childhood or our youngest children, pre-birth to six and families, you know, in my various roles in the community and working with community partners, we saw with, with my school district partners, they were experiencing a decline in school readiness. So our kiddos were showing up first day of kindergarten and our school readiness issues were, were, growing. So we really wanted to work on and collaborate on ideas on how can we as a community work together to support, to, to, to reverse those numbers. How can we support our youngest kids and their families so that they're ready for school? What can we do? 
So that was a big push behind it um, for, for me personally and for us as a community. Jolene and I were talking about this as well. And when she had mentioned uh, Milford Thrives, uh, we started talking about it geographically and its identity geographically. And she had described it as what she called a service desert. Functionally speaking, how does that play out in Milford? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think, first of all, to frame that in, in the sense of like so many and probably most New Hampshire towns. Milford is a part of a much larger catchment area, whether you're talking about public health, mental health services, health care, um, early childhood services. So we are usually part of the greater Nashua area, sometimes part of Manchester, but we are 16,000 people. And, and, you know, a thousand children, six and under. So there are a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, kiddos and families, what we found out in our needs assessment, um, they aren't even aware of what's available to them because they're not within our community. You know, Milford families really think of themselves as Milford families. They don't think of themselves as greater Nashua families. They go to school here. They live here. They play here. They learn here. Um, Yes. So number one was really their their unawareness. And then the second thing is, well, how do we help them bridge them to access the services that they're looking for? So those two things, really helping build awareness and then helping bridge and make access easier. When I hear about collaboratives, the thing that rises to my head is it's it's a bunch of organizations and I'm surrounded by organizations. So how does Milford Thrive then engage parents in their experience using their voice in their concerns differently? Well, really prior to the collaborative's existence and Milford Thrive's existence, there there wasn't a community-wide focus on the youngest children and their families and what they needed. Um, you know, we uh, we were one of the late adopters of full-day kindergarten um, in our community, and it it just wasn't coming up. When we were approaching this this challenge together and this goal, this vision we had together. Um, At the heart of it, we wanted to be sure we were hearing directly from parents and caregivers and their young children living in our community. There are many parent members on the collaborative. And there are also many provider members, if you will, or child serving agency providers on the collaborative that actually live in Milford and have young children. So so the only way we're going to serve, you know, serve families better is to listen and figure out what their needs are and then adjust, not just here's a cookie cutter service. It's available in Nashua. You can go get it, but, you know, hear from them what they're looking for. For one example is, you know, there, there are plenty of parent education Zooms available right now. Um, And in really probing our and working with our parents and listening to what they were looking for in terms of connection, you know, there's this model called the parent cafe. Um, which is much more, it's a parent-led discussion around parenting, and it might have a specific topic um, of focus for each cafe, but it's all around strength, you know, strengthening protective factors and and really creating a space for them, whether it's virtual or, uh, you know, eventually we're really looking forward to in-person again, them connecting and and learning about the resources available and, and learning, you know, meeting providers and what they might have available that could support them, but really listening about what 
they're looking for, how, what, what gathering, what environment, you know, would help you best, would best support you in your role as a parent. What is the type of response you're getting based on the, the survey work and the kind of the, the, the messaging work that you've been doing? So parents, first of all, were, were so thrilled to find out about the work um, and really happy to participate in the survey. We had a 15% response rate. We focused on pre-birth to f- um, families with pre-birth to five. So we were really happy with that, that response rate for our surveys. And then we were able to actually engage them in focus groups as well. And first and foremost, they were just so happy to be able to potentially have one place to go to with questions to look at um, in terms of, you know, media information resources, um, you know, really interested in who the partners were at the table you know, wanted to develop those relationships with with the various partners. Um, We have 30 plus partners within the collaborative, including parents. So that was really important for us right off the bat to have parents and caregivers in the collaborative as key members. Um, But, you know, the other members, the provider members include anyone from, like I said, the school district to Milford Thrives, to our library, to our early intervention provider, Gateways, DCYF. Um, It's it's really, it's been a phenomenal group effort and and really um, concerted joint effort to, to, to build an understanding of what is out there. And then how do we best communicate that to parents who want to know about these services right. and, and help them access the ones that they're interested in and feel they need. And what are some of those services that parents are identifying as things that they do need? I would say, and, and, you know, it's, it's unclear how much this has to do with COVID. Um, but I would say number one was how do I connect with other parents of young children, other families with young children, um, that relationship, that connection was absolutely at, at the top of the list. Right. And the other thing we learned is that when brochures or information are provided to parents from a specific agency, it's not a parent friendly consumable way. So parents don't want uh, different brochures from different providers. They want to know how to parent. So when we actually talk to them about, well, what kinds of information are you looking for? You know, how can we, and, and right up there was what's available to support my child's development in, my, in the area, early childhood services programs. But then they also wanted information on um, child development. And then if they had questions where to go. So not so much, this is, you know, this is gateways and this is what they do. This is the speech and language pathologist and this is what they do, but this is child development. These are milestones. These are areas where you can get developmental screening. And then if you have further questions, you know, just keeping it, keeping um, the perspective from a parent. Yes. You're not thinking about what you might need. You're thinking about what is it that I am going through? Is there anything in your findings that really surprised you about what respondents and parents had said? Yeah. You know, surprising in a, in a um, alarming way, actually, were our numbers around adverse childhood experiences. So, and this wasn't, so we did needs assessment through the parents, but we also did needs assessment through our providers and, and their data. So we have our juvenile officer for our Milford police department 
as part of the collaborative. And he's a really critical member of the community and the collaborative and does incredible things, bridging families um, and, and their children to the services they need if they have undergone, witnessed, um, you know, a domestic violence incident or are struggling with behavioral issues, you know, really making sure they, they reach the, those supports and services they need. But the numbers of incidences um, involving youth unfortunately increased remarkably from, we look at the data from 2019 to 2020. Mm -hmm. So that's an area as a collaborative that we're, we're really looking at, okay, how can we support Will, our, our juvenile officer and his work, and therefore support our youngest children and the families so that they can heal from those kinds of incidences. Because we have no control. As a child who experiences an adverse childhood experience, that is not within their control. They happen to be there. They were there. Now, how do we help them heal and their families heal? So that's one unfortunate surprise. Yeah. It seems like this is a perfect opportunity for people and stakeholders, community leaders to get involved in an organization like Milford Thrives and its intentions and mission and vision. How can somebody, should they want to reach out? Yes, thank you. Um, So many ways. And we've been so fortunate to have the support and interest of the community in our work, you know, whether it's being a part of the collaborative, um, we welcome all any stakeholder, any resident, any provider that wants to be a part of that work. But, you know, simply, you know, visiting our, following our Facebook page and our website, um, watching what we're doing, there are opportunities to be a part of events. Um, This summer, we will be participating um, again in some outdoor community connection events, offering family-friendly activities. So people can help with that. People can visit us and, and, and do that work. And then on the other side, side too is you know so we have we have had incredibly generous folks step up and donate to our our nonprofit so that we continue this good work so there are sponsorship opportunities donor opportunities um will be part of New Hampshire gives coming up the other piece is just you know, expressing that interest and knowing how important those early years are for a child's life and, and, you know, expressing the supporting the critical importance of that work, whether it's through, you know, talking to state legislators or, or just in general community conversations. And, you know, when, when you're in a grocery store and you see that mom, you know, at the end of the day, you know, with her baby in the, in the cart and the baby's starting to maybe melt down because the baby's tired, you know, supporting that mom, supporting that baby. And she's saying, oh, been there, done that, you know, making funny faces, whatever, just, you know, creating that kind of environment where every parent, every community member, every child feels supported and can uh, grow together. I can't tell you how much of a difference when in line at a grocery store and the person behind me makes faces at my child, it allows me to get my groceries up. It allows me to pay. It allows me to do so much more. And it's such a basic act of community is just being uh, there for each other. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Joelle, for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Nathan. I've really enjoyed it. To learn more about Milford Thrives, go to milfordthrives.org or visit their Facebook page for more information. 
Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now.